It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Thursday episode of Locked On Raptors, we have a veritable smorgasbord of questions from you, the listeners, to dive into on today's show. Lots of trade talk, guys the Raptors should target, the types of players the Raptors should target. We'll talk about Scotty Barnes at the five. We'll talk about Pascal Siakam's pending extension this offseason and so much more. It's all coming up on a holiday mailbag of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the bridge on the Hail Mary 3 by Mopey. Get that garbage out of here. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1309 of Lockdown Raptors for Thursday, December the 29th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I'm covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can also find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast and all your favorite audio podcast apps for free. And we are on YouTube. You can go hit the big red subscribe button, also free every day in video form. And uh, if you do that, if you hit that subscribe button, you get in the comments, you help generate some buzz about the show, I am certainly forever indebted to you. And you might have a good time. There's some good folks hanging out in the comment section and the, the live chats during the premieres of the episodes and all that good stuff. So thank you to those who take part. Thanks to those who can, might consider taking part as your 2023 New Year's resolution. All right, on today's show, we have a ton of mailbag questions to sort through today. We might not get to all of them. We wanted to save them for another episode next week, but uh, we got a million, really, some really good ones as well. All sorts of stuff, uh, you know, relating to trades and trade targets and various scapegoats on the Raptors who are getting a lot of heat for their 15 and 19 start to the season. We'll dig into all of them today. Let's first start out the question from our pal, regular, frequent, prolific question asker, Freddie Rivas. Are we as a fan base undervaluing how important Precious Achua is to this team? Of course, this is a newsy type of question to lead off with, as yesterday there was all sorts of video from practice of Precious Achua going through a rigorous 45-minute, hour-long workout to kind of get up to speed with things. Seems as though he's nearing a return. Could be as soon as tonight. I believe he's officially listed as questionable. Um, I would bet with a back-to-back, maybe they start him in the game against the Suns on Friday, but who's to say? The Raptors are, you know, never easy to predict with the way they handle their injuries and who's going to come back when. But either way, with Precious Achua nearing his return, I do think this is a really apt question from Freddie, and I do think he's on to something in that maybe the absence of Precious has been a little underplayed. And I think it's fair, considering the way he started the season, which, you know, he was getting called out by Nick Nurse, 
Chris Boucher got that yesterday too, by the way. It's just everybody's getting it this year. Um, but he got called out by Nick Nurse. He, you know, wasn't playing super regularly or at least not the same level of rotational dependability as we saw last year, especially in the back part of the season. And his offense was really, really not pretty. That does, of course, undercut what an incredible defensive player Precious Achua is. And we've been talking the last couple of weeks here as the Raptors have struggled about the sort of future trajectory for the team. And last week on the show, our pal Vivek Jacob declared Vision 6'9 dead. Doesn't work. You gotta have other types of players on the roster. And I generally agree with that. They obviously need uh, some ball handling, shooting, three-point, uh, you know, like someone who can just like look at, uh, at a three and not, you know, quiver in their pants. Uh, also, you know, they need some center play. They need someone who is tall, who can block shots, be the back line of defense, rolling, threat, all of that stuff. It's very clear they need a diverse set of skills worked into this team. However, I do think we haven't really seen this team for a very long stretch with Precious Achua in there. And I don't think you can totally evaluate the validity of Vision 6-9 or even the validity or the, 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 the quality or lack thereof of this year's team until we actually see Precious in the mix. You know, he's been out a long time. It's been quite some time since we've seen Precious Achua this season. And... You know, I, I think it is forgotten a little bit because his offensive start to the season was a little rocky. Nick Nurse clearly wasn't thrilled with what he was seeing. He called him out at one point because everyone gets the Nick Nurse call out at some point. It's a rite of passage to play for the Toronto Raptors. Shout out Chris Boucher um, for his like second or third in his career. Either way, <laughs> when it comes to Precious, you know, his, his start to the season wasn't incredible. And I do think they kind of undercut the importance that he has to this team, specifically on the defensive end a team that doesn't have a whole lot of rim protection. Last year, Precious, pretty solid rim numbers as a defender, even though he's not your traditional shot blocker. He's a very good contester, good deterrent, that type of thing. Uh, he drives the rebounding for this team quite well, and overall, he just makes the defense better, typically. Wasn't so much the case at the start of this season, but last year, he was in the 71st percentile per cleaning the glass, meaning you know he was in the very upper third, almost, yeah, upper third of the league in terms of how he drove defense when he was on the floor. The Raptors were two and a half points per 100 possessions better when he was on the floor on defense last year and some of their lineups where he featured heavily were incredible like just totally you know impenetrable in a lot of cases and that's because he is a do-everything man on defense he can be your back line of you know defense in the sort of uh the way the Raptors play defense the super aggressive over rotation all that stuff depending on someone being there at the back line I think Precious is the best guy on the roster equipped to do that. He hasn't played, and that matters. This is a team that relies upon that back line defense to cover up for the mistakes and the messes that can sometimes be created when you're super aggressive hunting for turnovers and whatnot. You have that. You also have his three-point shooting, which was not really, you know, bearing any fruit this season so far, but clearly a very important skill that he brings to the table, and his willingness to take them is merely important. His willingness to drive and put the ball on the deck when it swings to him, also very important to kind of keeping things moving, even though he himself is not much of a play connector, far more of a play finisher, but, like, you need that, and I do think it's because he's been out so long because that start of the season wasn't what you wanted to see it's been a little forgotten but i've said on this very show i think if vision six foot nine is to work 
it's because Precious Achua unlocks it all because he gives you center skills from a guy who's 6'9 and can range out to anywhere on the floor in half-court defense. And we haven't gotten to see that yet. I'm going to withhold full judgment on what this team should do before the deadline, who they should move, etc., etc., until we actually see Precious play. I think this is a really good question by Freddie. I think it really still holds up. He's a really important player. The Raptors desperately need him uh, if they want to sort of be their best selves and play their ideal style. He's probably their second best defender after OG Ananobi. Take the second best defender off of any team, and that's a problem. Precious is important. Very good question, and I think an apt one from Freddie. We're going to continue on here, get to this next question here from our pal Andrew Livingston, who asks, where do you see the Raptors in the standings at the All-Star break? Look, this is one that, you know, I guess you can kind of go through the schedule and pick out, you know, wins versus, you know, what other teams have, you know, what, what their schedules are. I personally think that it's not all that crazy that by the deadline, which or the All-Star break, which is early February, that the Raptors could very well find themselves in sixth in the East. I think they're that good. I think they've had a rocky start, no doubt. It's not been pretty, but I do think they're coming into form a little bit more here lately. They have a lot of home games on tap. And I do think, while I don't think like a dramatic turnaround like we saw last year is necessarily in the cards, as we discussed yesterday with Vivek, I do think a run here can happen. And I I think the teams in front of them are not any great shakes. There are only two games in the loss column out of sixth right now. The Heat, the Knicks, the Pacers, the Hawks, the Bulls. Uh, None of those teams are striking fear in my heart. Maybe the Heat, if they ever get their stuff together and are fully healthy, I think that's a really good team and one that, you know, probably belongs in that race for the six seed. But I don't buy the Knicks. I don't buy the Hawks. I don't buy the Pacers. I don't buy the Bulls. And so sixth or seventh, I think, is totally on the table for the Raptors by the time the All-Star break comes around. And maybe you find that disappointing. Maybe you wanted this team to be, you know, in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, and that's fair. I think that maybe is overshooting things a little bit as far as expectations. And I think sixth or seventh fighting for that spot. We talked at the start of the season about how this might not be the same type of years last year where you finish fifth and everything's very excited and oh my goodness it's also ahead of schedule there's a real chance there was a real chance and it's happening right now that the Raptors were going to drop back a little bit have some struggles loaded Eastern Conference etc etc but the fact that they've had the struggles they've had and still find themselves staring down that six seed just two games out of that I, I think speaks to uh, you know, that they, they haven't totally lost the plot of the season or anything like that. There's still plenty of time to turn this thing around and have it be a successful season where they get playoff experience. Maybe they spook a team in the first round. Who's to say? Either way, I, I think sixth or seventh by the time the All-Star break comes around is very much on the table. Maybe that's being over-optimistic. Maybe this team sitting right now in 11th place is uh, not going to climb out and is going to be in the play-in fight for the entire season just to even get in. I don't think that's the case. I think they're too good for that. There's too much talent on hand. Pascal Siakam is too bloody good. He's better than any of the players on any of the teams in front of them by a pretty significant order, except for maybe Jimmy Butler at his peak. But he's in the regular season mode, so you're not getting peaked Jimmy Butler right now either. We're going to continue on, get to more of your questions on the other side of the break. Before we do that, however, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And look, this is a tough time of year. It's dark, you have seasonal effect the holidays are over, and so maybe you're feeling a little gloomy about what's coming up in January. Or you could just be dealing with personal stuff. Hey, I got a job d- decision I got to make. I have you know stuff on my, on my plate, lots of life decisions, whatever it might be. BetterHelp is here to offer you professional therapists who are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine called you. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, new relationship, becoming a parent, 
all sorts of things. It could just be personal struggles you're dealing with, internalized stuff. Therapists are there to help you. They give you a sounding board, someone you can talk to. They don't have any baggage. They don't have their own agendas or anything like that. You're just speaking to them. They take what you're saying. They're listening. They're paid to listen and offer you effective coping strategies. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. That's betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day, your mailbag episode, holiday mailbag. I don't know, we're kind of in that weird week between Christmas and New Year's where everyone's doing nothing and lazing. Let's just pretend this episode is like a charcuterie platter that you're kind of working on. The, 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 the meats and cheeses are questions that you, the lovely listeners, have asked. Let's go to this question here. This one comes from... Uh, I got it here, I got it here. Uh, this one comes from Charlie Bender asking, if the Raptors make a move at the deadline, who do you think is the most likely to be gone Gary Trent Jr. Chris Boucher Kem Birch I'm kind of starting to think maybe all of them or at least Gary Trent Jr. and Chris Boucher Chris Boucher I think is merely like a salary matching thing he's got 15 million bucks on the books um or 12 or whatever it is it's a it's a sizable number it's in that exact sort of range of contract that tends to come up this time of year when deals are being talked about because salary matching is very important and Chris Boucher has got a salary he's also a good player who right now is not having the best time Nick Nurse calling him out yesterday of course and he's got to play better um and I don't think he's necessarily wrong would I be a little more tactful and a little more sort of uh you know delicate in my approach to talking about players publicly if I were a coach probably but also, this has happened with Chris Boucher in the past, and it's actually kind of turned things around. If you think back to the year he kind of became a rotation guy in 2019-20, first couple of weeks of the season, Nick Nurse was calling his ass out, and he ended up turning it around. Is it a great approach to call your players out all the time? Probably not, but also, I like to kind of withhold a lot of judgment on this type of stuff because we see exactly 1% of what goes on between player and coach. We have no idea the conversations Nick Nurse and Chris Boucher are having have had the understanding they might have the you know the ways in which Nick Nurse might understand Chris Boucher accepts criticism and is motivated it's all like it's totally unknowable and so I don't like to get too bogged down in the wow I can't believe Nick Nurse is scolding his players type of thing as much as it's not something I would do I also don't really have a leg to stand on and say this is how I do it differently because I don't know Chris Boucher I don't know how the, the relationship works either way when it comes to Boucher, Trent, and Birch, you know, Trent, I think, has been an obvious guy that might get dealt all season long. I think, you know, depending on how he plays here, coming off the bench, it's tough. He's probably going to opt out of his contract, so it adds this whole sort of layer of uncertainty, and do you want to be the guy paying Gary Trent Jr.'s next contract? 
I do think this is in some ways tied to how the Raptors view Fred Van Vliet. I don't think you can just go trade all of the guys who do the shooting on your team. Even though they're not shooting incredibly well this season, they're still the best shooters, proven track records, all that on the team. And I do wonder if the Raptors were to say, move on from Fred Van Vliet, do they maybe look at Gary Trent Jr. as someone that they're not all that opposed to paying and keeping around? Just to have that shooting, you know, I think that makes it difficult to find a fourth guy to sort of mix into your core of Scotty, OG, and Pascal. That's certainly a thing to grapple with. Um, But I do wonder if, like, it becomes one or the other as opposed to both just being jettisoned off because this team needs shooting. It seems a little counterproductive to just go move out the two guys who do the most shooting on the team. Um, And, you know, uh, it it also depends, I think, where the Raptors are in a month. Do they feel like they have, uh, you know, a chance to get into the playoffs and make some noise? get some real experience for the younger guys um you know have this be a season that's not wasted you know and you know a season that you can kind of hopefully go and do something maybe win around whatever i think if that's the case then they probably will look to to move on from gary ahead of fred van vliet because i think fred kind of helps them the most right now even though he's not playing his best of course you know you people know the the folks in the comments everyone like it's it's been rough and the sort of sentiment around fred has gotten really dire and upsetting frankly and i think a little unjust but you know, I, I do think both of these guys, you can't just move on from both if you want to have this season be about something. I think you could maybe move on from one and still compete this year, depending on what the return is and sort of how the roster is rebalanced after a deal like that. But, um, you know, Trent or, or Fred feels like a one or the other. Boucher feels like maybe the most likely at this point, considering he's kind of fallen out of the rotation. Precious Achua is coming back. You would figure at some point Otto Porter is going to come back. And maybe there's just not room for Chris Boucher. And as much as I think Chris Boucher at his best can be fantastic, he hasn't been at his best for the last little while. His missed threes feel really back-breaking when they happen. He makes sort of misguided errors in spots of games that are kind of damaging. And I wonder if maybe he's someone the Raptors look to move out as someone who might have value to another team out there. You know, another team looking for a big, someone looking for some rebounding, whatever. I've always thought Memphis was kind of an interesting fit for him, although their front court is loaded now that Jaron Jackson's back and they've got Steven Adams and Brandon Clark and yada, yada, yada. But I think there's going to be a market out there potentially for Chris Boucher. And if you attach a first round pick to either Trent or Boucher, you might get yourself something pretty good in return. Um, And, you know, it's hard to say the market's still developing. We'll see. But uh, if I had to guess between Boucher, Birch and Trent, I'd say Birch is the least likely to be dealt. I would say Trent and Boucher are kind of like 50% or higher at this point. Um, Birch just feels like, you know, they have lots of salary matching guys and maybe the other guys are more attractive to other teams than Ken Birch is, but we'll see. Either way, good question. This is going to develop and be kind of a moving target, I think, as to who's going to get moved as the season goes along. Uh, This one also is from Freddie Rivas, our pal. Uh, Let's get to this. Lots of Raptors getting scapegoated for losing these days. Of these slandered players, who is your candidate to have a strong back half of the season? This also kind of applies to a question we'll get to in just a sec, also from our pal Charlie Bender. Um, actually, I can kind of weave that question in. He was, Charlie was asking about Scotty Barnes and him looking good at the five and whether you'd like to see him play more at that position. And I think these two things are tied together because I do think Scotty Barnes is in line for a pretty good second half of the season. I, I think the way they've been using him at the five... I like the way it kind of forces him to make quick decisions. This is a thing that Scotty Barnes has struggled with. When he gets the ball swung to him on the perimeter, when he starts a possession, it feels like he kind of dribbles the life out of the ball. At times, he waits too long for plays to develop that aren't actually developing, and they miss opportunities to press advantages that way. When he's playing as a center, he's on the short roll, he's in a, an environment where he has to make quick decisions, and boy, oh boy, is Scotty Barnes good at making quick decisions when he opts to do it. 
you know, I feel like it's sometimes he's always kind of looking for the ideal play as opposed to just the next play. When he's in that short roll situation, he's looking for his shots more. He's easily kind of getting to his favorite spot, which is those little hook shots six to eight feet away from the basket. That's an easy place for him to kind of enter those spaces as a roller, as a roller, as a dive man in pick and roll. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I, I kind of like what we're seeing there offensively from him. And also on defense, that's where he's at his best, right? You know, he's not a good perimeter defender right now. He's not necessarily a great rim protector or anything like that either, but he's been better there than he has been in other places on defense. And I think, yeah, if you can play him in these spots, they're going to maximize the things that he does well, while also kind of eliminating the things that he does really poorly right now. I think you're going to get the best out of Scotty Barnes. You're going to see a lot of what we saw from last year. And I could totally see a repeat of last year where Scotty kind of grew in to being the number two option behind Pascal on the team. Obviously, OG's right, right there and, you know, he's very good and Fred's there too. It's not easy to just become the second option on the Raptors. But I do think if you can keep on using Scotty Barnes as a center, we could see a bit of a turnaround here and a bit of a salvaging of what has been a bit of a disappointing second season for him. Fred Van Vliet's the other scapegoat guy, obviously. And look, the injury stuff is hard to sort of grapple with, right? He's, you know, at some point it becomes part of how you have to talk about Fred Van Fleet, the back spasms, the constant in and out of the lineup. I'm still withholding any judgment on what I think the Raptors should do with Fred Van Fleet. I am open to the idea that he might get moved before the deadline. I do think if you want that to happen, you have to brace yourself for uh, an ugly back part of the season where they're probably still going to be too good to actually tank into any sort of meaningful lottery range, which is a bummer if you're that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. I don't care about tanking. Tanking can can kick rocks. Um, but when it comes to um, not having Fred on the team, like it's just going to get uglier. It's going to get nastier. He is, as much as he is frustrating folks with his missing threes and his bad perimeter defense, he's still the best option they got right now is a fourth guy around their core three wings. And the things he does well, when he does them well, make this team tick, make this team into one that can beat the Cavaliers on the road before Christmas, into one that can take down the Knicks and ruin their their their, their winning streak and all of that. And yeah, man, it, it, it's tough with Fred. I, I do think there's probably a better second half in him than he had in the first half. Uh, if he can just stay on the floor, if the back spasms don't become too much of a, a regular occurrence, even though they might kind of be a regular occurrence as it is right now. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's a little less certain with Fred and I, I still think, you know, there's a reasonable thing to sort of wait to the off season to decide what the deal with Fred is. And do you use his bird rights to advantage in, in the off season? Do you let him walk into space and just use, um, whatever flexibility that comes from that, even though it won't be a ton, cause you're paying a lot of money to other guys too. Um, you know, it's tough. It, it, it's a really hard thing to reckon with. And there's a lot it's not as much as people want to make it trade Fred. It's simple. Just get rid of him. It's not that simple. It's just really, really not with the way the team's constructed with the way he's part of the culture and how, how steeped he is in it. It's not an easy call. I don't envy the front office for having to make the call with Fred Van Vliet. He will continue to get scapegoated. I'm sure. And some of it's fair. Um, but I do think this month, like truthfully, January is going to determine whether Fred Van Vliet is a long-term Raptor, I think. And we'll see. I I'm still willing to hold withhold judgment as to what the whole end verdict is going to be there. Uh, we're going to come back on the other side, get to a couple more questions. Again, we're not going to get to all of the questions you wonderful folks said in today, probably, but we will get to that and uh, try to get through as many as we can before we round things up. Before we do that, i got to tell you about our friends over at Sweatblock. I've talked about Sweatblock on this show before. I'm a proud, happy customer of Sweatblock, and they are a fantastic company who provide sweat 
wicking wipes. Not sweat wicking, sweat sweat preventing really is what it's all about. Uh, you, you get your wipes, you throw them on before you go to bed, do a little wipe down of your areas where you tend to sweat a lot. You wake up in the morning and you're dry and you have seven days, up to seven days of protection. I am a very happy sweat block customer. I am someone who sweats a lot. It's just a thing. It's, it's part of my life. I have to deal with it, but it's embarrassing sometimes. When I go to a formal function, I got to wear dark colors. When I go to, you know, various things, I, you know, I have to be mindful of, all right, do I have like my clinical strength deodorant in my bag and stuff like that? It's really a thing that kind of dogs my life day to day. But Sweatblock has helped me not have to worry about that so much. I got to get myself a new shipment because I ran out and the holidays have been a bit of a nightmare with determining what I'm going to wear and all of this. Uh, but Sweatblock wipes, they were they're fantastic. They were featured and tested on the Rachel Ray Show by firefighters. Those are some sweaty dudes too. If you or someone you love is experiencing embarrassing sweat or order, try Sweatblock. Save 20% off with the promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Also available on Amazon. That's the promo code locked on uh, to get 20% off at sweatblock.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's continue on here. Round up the show with a couple more of your mailbag questions. This one comes in from Graham Vandervecht, a new question asker from the YouTube comments. So thanks, Graham, for sending that in. Um, I will start doing this. I did this yesterday, but when I do have a mailbag question, a mailbag podcast planned on the agenda, I will put the prompt to send in questions on the previous day's episode. So Get, always keep an eye out for that sort of pinned prompt to send in some questions. And thanks to Graham for responding to said prompt, who asks, what do you think is a bigger hole for the Raptors, three-point shooting or rebounding? Um, I don't think rebounding is really all that big a problem. Their numbers, you know, have not been bad this season necessarily. I'm going to pull up the exact numbers as of right now, but they've been pretty all right when it comes to securing rebounds, whether on the offense or defensive end this season. Um, it's more so in the three-point area that I think it's it's pretty clear. That one's just like slapping, slapping you in the face is a problem that the team has. Um, I'm having a hard time finding this right here, but either way. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's clearly three-point shooting. The, the fact that they are so dependent on their main guys to have big nights from three that you, know, you kind of fall apart when you're not getting a good night from Fred or a good night from Gary or a good night from OG – that is a problem. You can't be so dependent on three guys to drive all of your three-point shooting. And they've been a little bit more sort of diverse in who they're getting shots shooting from this season. Malachi Flynn's emergence has been massive, of course. Pascal Siakam is back up around league average-ish, kind of oscillating back and forth, depending on whether he has a hot or cold night. Um, you know, they've not been abject failures in the rest of the roster shooting threes a little bit of wancho here and there obviously but it's just not enough they need a little bit more they need some more pop not having Otto porter jr has been massive in that department and rebounding wise you know they feel to me at least like they're they're, they're just fine they're number four right now in offensive rebounding rate and defensive rebounding they are middle of the pack they're 17th uh or no 14th in in, in defensive rebounding as well so it's not 
you know, amazing, but it's not like a, a bad, bad sort of weakness like it has been in years past. So definitely rebounding. That to say, that is not to say though that I don't think a big man is the biggest need because I do think a big man is the biggest need, but just not for the rebounding part. It's more for the geometry of the floor and the way you can get pick and roll actions going and the way you get that backline rim protection. That's the stuff they need a center for. So as much as three point shooting is a bigger need between that and rebounding. Center play is, to me, the biggest need at the moment. Someone who could just fill in, be what we thought Christian Coloco might be for the first couple weeks of the season, where you're in that sweet honeymoon phase. Obviously, things have deteriorated for him since. Um, they got to get themselves a center, I think. With that said, a couple questions here regarding uh, trade stuff. Here is Caleb Latre asking, any thoughts on possible trade acquisitions outside of the usual Yak and Turner stuff? So yeah, Yak and Pirtle, Miles Turner continue to be the two guys I think mentioned the most. Miles Turner, we'll see. It sounds like he's, you know, the reports are that he's in talks with the Pacers about an extension. Zach Lowe seemed a little skeptical about that on his recent podcast from earlier this week with Tim McMahon, digging into whether or not they're actually going to extend him in Indiana, whether Miles Turner wants that. Um, you know, I, I still think Miles Turner would be just such a hilariously ideal fit between, uh, you know, or next to OG, Scotty, and Pascal, but between the three-point shooting he offers, the block, the block shots, the help side defense, the rim protection, all of that would be a massive thing to add to the team. Um, it's going to cost a lot if, it, if that's going to happen. And, and, you know, as much as it's, you know, the thing I would do, it's also risky because he's a pen, pending free agent and there's no guarantee you can keep him, even though I think the Raptors have shown a pretty good track record of keeping guys that they want to keep after trading for them for their bird rights. Um, but other than Jakob Pertl and, and Miles Turner, and look, Jakob Pertl, there was another question about Yak in here as well. Um, I, I can try to find it here. It's not popping up on my list here, but... You know, lot, lots of talk about Yak. Oh, sorry, this one's from Matt T., the other talk about Jakob Pertl and what you would give up for him. Um, we can just bring that question up on the page here, too. You know, for Jakob and Josh Richardson, for example, is that like a duo you'd try to trade for to the Raptors balk at the two firsts for, for Jakob Pertl? And look, I don't think I'm trading two first-round picks for Jakob Pertl, I think is the point that I'm trying to get to here in a roundabout way. Um, Jakob Pertl's great. I love Jakob Pertl. He's probably my favorite Raptor of all time to interview in the locker room back in the day. Uh, he was fantastic to talk to. Always kind of dug into the X's and O's very eagerly. He was great. And I think he would be a big help to this team, but I don't think two first-round picks worth of help, um, if that makes sense. I think the fact that he can't shoot threes uh, or or shoot free throws makes it a little bit of a tricky fit. Defensively, they'd be monstrous. Like, he's such a good rim protector. He would be the exact solution to their biggest problem on defense right now, which is no one being there to clean up the messes that the blow-bys and the overextensions of the defense create and he would be great for that he also would help grease the half-court offense a little bit with his sort of elbow game similar to the Thad Young Marcus All stuff he's a good passer from there that would be kind of fun he'd be a nice role threat as well uh, but the free throw shooting makes me a little worried because he's a really 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 bad free throw shooter and you get to the big parts of big games and I wonder if you can even have him on the floor and so is it worth giving up the two first round picks the Spurs are rumored to want for him I don't think they're going to get two first round picks for an expiring Yakupertle uh, maybe some team that's desperate for contention goes nuts and says this is how we load up this is our Mark Gasol trade or whatever um, I don't think the Raptors will be that team and I ultimately don't think Yak is going to end up on the Raptors if I'm the Raptors I'm looking around at two 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 guy packages if I can and you want something resembling like ball handling slash shooting plus a big man who can give you the big man skills you need and for me there's a couple teams that come to mind 
I think the Wolves with Jalen Noel and Nas Reed, if they keep on losing games and they need to recoup anything to kind of help supplement the roster around the very uh, expensive and very costly uh, team they've built, maybe those two guys are, are guys you can snatch. Jalen Noel, big-time scorer. Nas Reed, maybe not the greatest defensive center, but certainly a good offensive center, um, would be a nice fit, I think, next to what the Raptors got going and, and just offer some meaningful play at the five, um, despite being a little bit of a smaller guy, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But either way, those two guys stand out. For me, the ideal, ideal, ideal move is can you get Emmanuel Quickly and Isaiah Hartenstein out of New York. The Knicks have lost a few games here. Quickly is up for a contract, and I don't. It doesn't seem from the reports like they are super keen on paying him, even though he's been quite good for them this year. And there's a reason I want him on the Raptors. He's a good defender. He's got the ball handling chops. Decent shooter. I think he'd be an excellent fit, and maybe even makes it so you can stomach moving on from Fred Van Vliet, frankly, um, if you want Emmanuel Quickly to kind of be your sort of go-to floor general type for the future around more heavy ball handling wings. And Isaiah Hartenstein, the passing, the just sort of the size he presents, he's not like an amazing defender, but he's a pretty good positional defender, uh, can kind of hang around the rim, do the verticality thing that you need, just someone to be that back line of, de of defense and just be large. Like the Raptors desperately need dudes who can just be large, and Hartenstein is that. I know they just signed him to a contract, but you know the Knicks are always kind of looking to the next thing and looking to what their their cap situation might look like. I might actually jump on a call and record a show with Alex and Gavin from Locked On Knicks about quickly and Hardenstein as we get closer to the deadline because I think those two guys will be such a huge, huge add. I would probably throw in maybe I might consider a second first round pick for that package those two guys you get a couple years of Hartenstein you know he's going to be there as a center for you you can play if you need a center to close he could probably do that for you if you need him to just play backup minutes while you're using Scotty or Precious at the five he can probably do that for you as well just fine and quickly I think is a really really interesting guy to try to snag and pay his next contract to Either way, I, I think, you know, that's the sort of the, the dream for me. I don't know how feasible it really is. Um, you know, trade machine machinations almost never, ever, ever bear fruit or anything like that. But um, to sort of go back to Caleb's question, are, are there other guys that you'd be after? Any, you know, potential acquisitions? Uh, Hartley, Hart, uh, quick, Hartenstein, Hartley. <laughs> Hartenstein quickly is the duo that I have my eyes on, especially as the Knicks, you know, struggle and, you know, prove that they're the Knicks still. Um we have, I think, one more question to get to here. This one comes from our pal, Epic Moppus, Eric Morris. Regular question asker. Last year, it felt like this team was supposed to rebuild, but we're ahead of schedule of where this should be. And the front office didn't do anything drastic to quote-unquote win now, while others in the East got significantly better. Do the Raptors just need more of a solid stated intent on their direction? Look, I think this is a big part of it, man. Setting expectations is a massive thing that front offices should do before seasons to keep their, their legions from getting too insane when things go wrong. And I don't think the Raptors did a very good job of setting what the expectations for this season were. Last year, it was very clear. You know, Scotty Barnes is here. We're going to see what we got. We're playing this novel concept of basketball. We're going to see how it works. Try stuff. Throw stuff at the wall. See what sticks. And a lot stuck. It was pretty exciting. And, I, and I'll, I'll say it again. Like... I think their front office was more than justified to say after the, the close to last year, 
There's no need to do anything crazy this offseason. Yes, it'd be nice if you could get in the mix for a Donovan Mitchell. Cool, you know, you make the Kevin Durant trade that may or may not have been on the table. That's certainly a thing they could have done. But I also think they were justified in thinking, we got something good cooking here. It's still in the early phase. We can be patient here. We have time. And we can sort of see how it builds upon itself in year two with internal development. The internal development hasn't happened the way you thought it would. And that's a problem. But... You know, I, I do think the sort of biggest miscue was the front office just not saying, hey, like, this is what we expect to do this year. This is kind of like the, the, the Toronto Blue Jays problem a lot of the time is their front office gets on the mic and then, like, what they say is so, like, non-confidence inspiring, it drives you crazy. That's never been Masai Ujiri's problem. He comes out, he says what the stated goals are, and usually the Raptors do a pretty good job of overachieving and hitting them. I do think a part of, like, the weird sort of vibe around the season is that they haven't overachieved, and we're so used to overachievement that it feels like a failure when it's not there. There's plenty of reason to be disappointed with how the season's gone, but I also think it's still early enough that things could very much turn around here, and this could still be the type of successful season, even if it's not the huge win total season people hope for. could still very well be a very successful season for the Raptors, and it's, um, you know... I do think there's something to the idea of not setting the expectations off the top of the year. Had they just said, hey, look, still trying to figure out this whole 6-9 thing we're doing. We're still obviously trying to win, but we know there are going to be some hiccups and some growing pains. I think people with sort of a 10,000-foot view of the team knew there were going to be those growing pains. I certainly thought that would be the case coming into the year, and I feel like I've been proven right with that. Um, the front office didn't acknowledge that. They just kind of said, yeah, we're going to try to win, and they didn't really kind of state a goal, and not every front office does that, but I do think it's helpful if you want to limit fan sentiment from getting too insane, uh, it's actually set what the bar is because, look, expectation is the thief of joy. And if you set them, like, reasonably low, the people, you know, they might not be happy with where you've set the expectations. Maybe they're not happy with how low they are or whatever, but they certainly set the bar for what your internal evaluation is. And I think there's been a little bit of a sort of disconnect between the front office and the fan base this season as to what are the plans, what is the direction, and I do think we'll probably get a little bit of a, a view into that between now and the trade deadline of what their actual intentions here are. Frankly, their sh intentions should just be build around Pascal Siakam at all costs and, you know, kind of to go from there, but um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a good question, and I think the lack of sort of clear set expectations, we did an episode about this with Katie trying to actually set what the bar for expectation was earlier in the year because... We didn't really seem to know. I think Eric is onto something with this one. And yeah, a little sort of clarity from the front office as to what exactly the plans are would never be a bad thing. Of course, they don't want to tip their hand to the whole league, of course. And, you know, that is sort of, you're never going to get exactly what you want to hear from a front office, but some sort of hinting at like what the internal expectations were would have been nice for sure off the top. Anyway. That's going to bring us to the end of the show. Thank you to all of those who sent in questions. Apologies to those of you whose questions I did not get to. There was a question from our pal Pascal Fan Club about Pascal Siakam's free agency. Um, actually, let's get to that one really quick here right now uh, before we round it out. This one, at Pascal Fan Club, on a scale of 1 to 10, how concerned are you about Pascal Siakam's free agency? What should the Raptors be doing to extend his run of the team? Uh, I'm not that concerned because at this rate, he's probably going to make All-NBA at the end of the season and he's going to be eligible for the Supermax, and you pay him the Supermax because he's one of the 10 best players alive right now. Of course you pay him the Supermax. He's not Bradley Beal. He's not Zach Levine. He's not one of these guys who you should be worried about giving that money to. He's a two-way player. He gives you value all over the place. He gets better every single season. He should be a forever Raptor. He should be the kind of guy who at one day is getting his jersey retired and is in the conversation for best Raptor of all time. 
It seems as though Pascal loves it here. It seems as though he might be someone who can easily sell on the vision, whatever that is. I think you have to carefully handle this Fred Van Vliet thing. And, you know, if you're going to move on from him, it's got to be with a bit of a deft touch. It can't be a ghoulish, just, all right, ship him off. You know, the year Siakam's going into his expiring year of his contract. It's got to be something where he's on the same page. He knows what the plan is. He's that good of a player. You should be consulting on all personnel moves going forward. Um, ultimately, I, I think this is lining up for him to get an extension this summer, and that will be fine, and that'll be great, and that'll be very exciting, and he'll be a Raptor until he's 34, 35, and that's very exciting to me. That should be what the goal is here. His extension will essentially cover years 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. If it goes five years, um, that's more than fine to me. He's a fantastic basketball player. You should not be complaining. If you are paying him into his 30s, he's going to age well, I think. The footwork, the sort of craft, the fact that he's not athleticism-based necessarily. He's way more sort of out to trick you as an offensive player than he is to blow by you. Um, you know, I think he's going to age just fine. So I'm not, I'm like a one, maybe a two on Pascal Siakam. If they handle this Fred thing like ghouls, then maybe it gets a little bit more ratcheted up in terms of fear, but... I think the money that's going to be on the table for him, the fact that he is a guy who's so steeped in what the Raptors have become and have been, he is an all-timer already when it comes to the Raptors. He's probably a top-five Raptor of all time at the moment. Um, I think there's a very real chance that he is a Raptor for life, or at least until the very, very back part of his career when he goes into title-chasing mode and all that. Um, but yeah, I I'm not worried really right now. It, you know, Again, things could change. The NBA is weird. It's fickle, but... I'm not too worried about where Pascal's headed. I think he's going nowhere. I think he's just staying here, and the Raptors would be foolish to do anything but make sure that happens. With that, we're out of the show. Thank you so much. Again, those of you whose question, questions I didn't get to, I apologize. We will do another mailbag, I'm sure, very soon. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, supporting the show. It's so, so appreciated when you go and subscribe on YouTube, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite apps, all that good stuff. It's so, so nice of you. It's your holiday gift to me to support the show, which is free. I mind you, this is a free show. We give it to you every day. I don't ask you for much. Uh, so thank you to those who do support the show, send in the questions, all that great stuff. Thanks to the new question askers. Uh, and with that, we'll round up the show. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk about Raptors Grizzlies with our pal Jamar Hines from Raptors Republic. In the meantime, go make your second listen of the day. Locked on Leafs as the Leafs continue to be very good. Morgan Riley He's coming back to the lineup soon. Mike and Dave breaking all that down over on Locked On Leafs for you. Go check it out. And with that, we'll round it out there. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.